get to work. <laughs> you know, this is, you have an opportunity, you know, that really has not existed. I mean, it just, to some extent, it doesn't exist at all. Um, and in, in the country you come from. And, um, and I think maybe that's something that does help an immigrant writer or a writer um, who's sort of, who's not coming from mainstream America. I mean, to feel like what an incredible historically, um, you know, revolutionary opportunity you have. Are you an aspiring creative in entertainment, business, fashion, design, or the arts? Do you want to elevate your creative passion project to the next level? Then this show is for you. Whether you want a career in television, film, radio, literature, music, or beyond, Creative Breakthrough will show you how to take your dreams and turn them into reality. This show will not only leave you feeling motivated and inspired, but also provide you real-life tools to pursue the creative journey you have always wanted. I'm your host, creative coach, and chicken wing lover, Shireen Kassab, a.k.a. The Funny Brown Girl. Yes, I have an unhealthy obsession with chicken wings. Now, get ready to flex your creative muscle. Jasmine Darznick's debut novel, Song of a Captive Bird, is a fictional account of Iran's trailblazing woman poet Farouk Farouzad. It was selected as a New York Times book review editor's choice, as well as one of 2018's best books by Vogue, Miss, and Newsweek. Jasmine is also the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Good Daughter, a memoir of my mother's hidden life. Her books have been published and are forthcoming in 17 countries, and her essays have appeared in numerous periodicals, including the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Los Angeles Times. Jasmine was born in Tehran, Iran, and came to America when she was five years old. She holds an MFA in fiction from Bennington College and a PhD in English from Princeton University. Now a professor of English and creative writing at California College of the Arts, she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her family and is working on a novel set in 1920s San Francisco. So what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Welcome to the guest chair, Jasmine. Oh, thank you so much. So happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited. And so is everyone else that I've told that you are going to be on here. So thank you. <laughs> I love it. Great. So I really, when I talk to my guests, I really love to hear their journey from the beginning. So I would love it if you could tell us how your creative journey started. Well, it's hard to, to know exactly where to pinpoint the beginning, but I think part of me always had wanted to write, but I came from an immigrant family. I was five years old when my parents and I came from Iran. That was at the time of the revolution. And like a lot of Iranians of my generation, there was so much emphasis on becoming a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, in some way, um, in some way attaining a certain kind of material and professional success. And the utter antithesis to that would have been a life in the arts or uh, a life in writing. So I was really, I would say, I, not only was I not encouraged, I was actively discouraged from, <laughs> um, <laughs> from pursuing that. And the closest I got, I actually did go to law school. So I was in some, you know, to some, to some extent, I did carry out that wish of my parents, but um, 
I quickly realized it wasn't for me. And I went to graduate school in English. And even that was a pretty, for my parents, a, a really unorthodox move. Um, becoming an academic, it was, you know, it wasn't thought, that wasn't the dream. That wasn't what I was supposed to do. And then uh, I'd say, you know, really formally, it took it took a long time. I was in graduate school and I had the experience that I've heard other writers will will explain their writing sometimes in this way that I was reading so much and I was reading because I was hungry for a representation of my kind of experience. That would be an immigrant story, a story of a Iranian woman, a story of a Middle Eastern girl coming of age in America. And I just couldn't find enough stories to satisfy my own need. And Toni Morrison has this wonderful line that if you can't find the book you want to read, you have to write it. Something something along those lines. And so I was uh, I was working on a study of Iranian American writing and I just took it upon myself to kind of in tandem with that exploration set down my family's own experience and that's kind of the, I mean that's that's where it started and I started I started with personal essays I wasn't thinking book um, and then at one point my mom discovered that I was writing <laughs> and she I have a very 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 vivid um, memory of the day she she discovered some of my some of my papers on my desk or even in a drawer and um, and I was in a writing group at that time and she actually showed up at my writing group <laughs> and 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 she she was horrified and so angry because I had been writing about her and she felt that was not my right that I had no right to write. I mean, she was definitely, she was opposed to my writing even about my own experience, but the, the act of writing about her life was something she was really, um, really quite livid about. So that put things on hold for a while, but then, you know, something really peculiar happened, which is that I kept writing, I kept writing these personal essays about myself, really not bringing my family into it. And then my, mom, I think she was sort of appraising me or she was, she was, she was watching me as I was, uh, you know, pursuing, pursuing writing in that way. And she came to me and, and actually proposed that we work on a book together. And that book became a memoir called The Good Daughter. And it's really, that really is her story. I mean, I only appear, I think, somewhere after page 200, 60 or something like that, you know. So here's a story that um, it's a story that uh, really she had not told me when I was growing up. It's a story about her having a child when she was 13 and having to give that child up, as would, was common in Iran in the 1950s when she was a young woman. Um, that was a common experience if a woman divorced that she gave up her child. So it was a long held secret. She didn't tell anybody. She didn't tell any of her friends in America, but one day she up and decided that she was ready to tell it to me and that she not only was ready to tell it to me, but she was, she was ready for it to be published. So that's, that, that was certainly, I was in it by that point. And um, that was about eight years ago and I've kept going since. So when the book came out, well, actually before the book came out, so when you were working on it, like when you work with someone to write a memoir, like how hard was it to get the story that both of you agree <laughs> on? Like, does that make it difficult writing about someone oh else who's gosh. still alive? 
Absolutely. And this is why, you know, I teach creative writing and I, and I really counsel my students not to write memoirs about their family while their <laughs> family members are still alive, you know. And, you know, I think writers really struggle with this if you're writing about your family. Even if you're writing neutral material about your family, a lot of family members just don't want to be written about. Um, and so it can be a really vexed subject. Um, I, I'll answer also from a writer's point of view, from a creative person's point of view, it's really hard to work under those circumstances because to a degree, I was allowing her to control the material. Well, certainly she was controlling what she was telling me, but um, there was an unspoken agreement that if, if the, if we really, if it really got to a point, if there was some event that was too difficult for her to tell about or an interpretation on my part that did not ring true to her, um, that I would concede and I would, um, I would let her version of the story be the one that went down mm-hmm. in the book. And it's, it's hard enough already to write, but then to have someone actually right next to you, <laughs> right? You know, sort yeah. of, even just, you know, even if she's not saying anything, and my mother was not the sort of people, person to, to not say anything. I mean, she, she let me know she wanted to see drafts all along. And, you know, there was a lot there. I, I have a friend who tells me you should write a book about what it was like to write that book <laughs> because, um, I mean, it really almost just wrecked me and real and, and it did it. It's at certain moments, it really, um, it really got, got very uncomfortable in our relationship, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't recommend it on the other hand, you know, it was also this really once in a lifetime experience. I sat down with my mom. She told me this extraordinary story. She was able to transport me to an Iran that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, her, her memories were so vivid. It was really an exceptional experience to sort of plunge into the Iran of her childhood with her and to also in in the course of doing that then also tell a story that I think challenges certain Americans idea certain American ideas of who Iranians are Mm -hmm. and um, what Iranian women are like you know all of that was really gratifying to me. I read one of your other essays, The Summer I Disappeared, where you kind of talk about moving to L.A. because you lost oh, your virginity yeah. and your mom got upset. And you mentioned um, in that essay mm-hmm. that you didn't talk about that in The Good Daughter and the, towards the end because you were worried about how Americans would react negatively to the abuse. Um, so I guess I was curious, just like, one, how did the Americans or not Americans, the Iranians kind of react to like, oh, you're sharing our secrets, but also like, how does living in America mm-hmm. impact you being able to now tell these stories? About my own secrets, you know, as you mentioned, the piece I wrote for Shondaland is a story I couldn't tell when I was writing The Good Daughter, in part because The Good Daughter, I really, I think of as my mom's book, and she had so much mm-hmm. more control over that book. And, and, and also, I was just, I wasn't ready. I think you need to be ready. My mom was ready. I wasn't I wasn't fully ready to tell certain stories, um, certain stories. And part of it, as you mentioned, was this fear because now I'm writing at a time, it's after 9-11, where there's so much Islamophobia and there's so much sort of really galling representations of Middle Easterners and Muslims that I did worry about contributing to that. 
or affirming it in some way. So that essay is about losing my my virginity and being really very harshly punished. Um, but then again, you know, that story is, I had not seen anyone writing about that, you know, and maybe it's out there. I just didn't encounter it, but it was really interesting how many Iranian women reached out to me over social media or, um, you know, over Facebook. And there was a real feeling of, well, first of all, I can't, I can't believe you told that story, but also, Mm -hmm. oh my God, thank you. Because, you know, while I maybe, I can't tell you exactly how it went down for me, (laughs) it went down for me. You know, I, I know, I know, you know, I know Mm -hmm. what, what this was. I had a version of it happen to me. Um, and there, there's another moment where I just feel like, okay, my work for the day here is done, you know, because I know for me that reading something like Roxane Gay's book, Hunger, if you, if you haven't encountered it, but Roxane Gay writes about sexual abuse and I am so blown away by her bravery. And when I encounter work, that's that close to the bone that takes that kind of risk, um, that, that, that is that shameless in a sense. And I mean that with real respect, you know, she's gotten to this place where she's going to tell the story. And in some sense, I think you really have to be beyond the story to be telling the story. It doesn't own her. You feel like she can tell it because it does. Well, when you read work like that, I think it can really free you just in the act of reading it, you know, there's at the very least, I think you look at something like Roxanne Gay's hunger and you think, Oh my God, I'm so grateful that someone just put that down. You know, even if you're not rushing to the page Mm -hmm. to tell your story, it just, it diffuses this shame and this secrecy that is so crippling. I mean, I, I would say particularly for women, um, issues of um, sexuality and abuse are so crippling. And to hear another woman tell a story or to read an account of abuse um, is very empowering to the people who, who read it. So like, I want to step back a little bit. Um, so you, like you just mentioned, you were getting your PhD. So you got your PhD and your MFA, I guess, which one which one comes first when you want to be a writer or do you need them both? Or how did you decide which one to get mm-hmm. when? Well, when I was in college, I graduated from UCLA in the mid nineties. I had never heard of an MFA program. It would probably be 10 years before I heard those, okay. that acronym <laughs> MFA program, you know, I mean, it, it was just nothing. Mm-hmm. There were a lot fewer of them, but then, you know, in my in my community. And it was just something I had never, ever heard. I never knew you could go to school to become a writer. I, I didn't know that was possible, um, which is, I think, good because the education going through a doctoral program, just the, the rigor of that, the extraordinary amount of books that you have to read <laughs> uh, in order to get that degree. I think I, I started writing a little bit later than some people. I started my professional career as a writer started in my early thirties. And, but it didn't take me as long to get going because I had read so much and there was a sort of, I think if you have that kind of an, it, it, it leaves a mark on you. And I think you, you have a really good sort of handling of 
elements of story and what voices. And so you're learning craft without necessarily implementing it all along. And, um, and so I think it really served me well to have that education. Um, and the MFA was, you know, really, I, I wanted to teach creative writing and it was, um, it was really, the MFA was really in service of that, of, of, uh, of teaching in an MFA program, but a wonderful experience. I mean, it was sort of, it was this dream experience of, um, you know, so much support and encouragement. Um, my mentors were so fantastic and, you know, I was, I was really just so, so grateful to be in a place where writing mattered and, you know, that's true. It's just wonderfully validating to find a community as a writer. And that's what my MFA program gave me. So I want to step really far back to something you said when we first started talking, like you were, you started practicing law and you had your law degree. I guess, what was that moment when you finally decided like you wanted to go write? Like, was there a, was there an actual incident that happened or was it just sitting at your desk one day thinking this is not what I want to do? Mm. I, you know, I was only, I only worked in the law for about six months. I knew even, even as, even when I was in law school, I knew that it was not the path for me. Um, it was just, it's just, I don't, it's not suited to my temperament. Um, and so when I, when I was working, I was work, I was also sending out applications for PhD programs. So, <laughs> so I was already like one foot out the door of that. Um, and, um, but the moment when, when was the moment where I, you know, I was, really struggling with my dissertation as people do struggle. Sometimes it takes a long time, particularly in the humanities because job prospects are so low. So there isn't always a lot of incentive to finish early. I was struggling finishing my PhD and I wanted a creative outlet. And I remember one day I'm actually, I'm in the same house that I was living in at that time. So I'm looking out the window and I'm remembering a conversation I had with my neighbor who had just published a book. I saw her in the street. I think she was, maybe she was gardening. I said, Jeannie, how's it going? And she told me she, she'd published a book. Now there's another moment where sort of the, the, the heavens opened or, you know, sort of something really radical shifted because to me, writing was this exalted um, mm-hmm. vocation and I had never met a writer and the idea that literally next door <laughs> my neighbor had published a book mm-hmm. it blew my mind and it really inspired me I mean it was it was a really critical moment that moment um, that exchange I had with my neighbor and she told me how she got started was in a writing workshop in our community and I think it was not long, you know, maybe, maybe it was even the next day um, that I signed up for that same workshop. And I was in that writing workshop for two years. I didn't think I was writing a book, um, but I showed up every Friday night and I read, you know, we each got five minutes where we could read our, our writing for the week. And I lived for those Friday nights. Um I really loved the writing, but I also really loved feeling that my writing might mean something to people and the people in that group were so encouraging. So that, that was also really critical, um, entering a writing community and 
and really feeling supported. So on your journey, what are some of the personal challenges you face and the lessons learned? <laughs> That's a really expansive <laughs> question. Um, um, you know, something that I feel in my case, I had to get out of my own way. I spent so long, it's this imposter syndrome that I was talking about earlier. I mean, I just spent so long undermining myself, second guessing myself, you know, putting things off, which is a way of doing violence, I think, to your creative self is to procrastinate and put things off. Um, And so I have, I try, you know, and I still struggle to do the work and to get out of my own way. So to think less about what this means for my ego, um, you know, what people are going to think, you know, if it's going to sell or whatever, and to let the story come out, you know, to not impede it, because I think I was for a really long time. That's one thing. Um, I think of writing a novel as almost like you're moving to another planet, you know, and it's hard to move to another planet, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's sort of like psychically, right? Or, you know, you just spend so much time in your imagination and it demands so much time over so many years. And that's really hard to square with family commitments. In my case, it's um, to my teenage son and and to a much greater extent to my mother. Yeah. So these are, these are the challenges I face right now. Um, I wanted to say something, it, it, it was actually something that sparked in my mind earlier, but I think it helps me a lot to think about the bigger stakes in what I'm doing or, you know, a, a sort of bigger why. So if I look at, let's say, my mom's life or my grandmother's life or women's lives in Iran, for much of our history, it has been very dangerous to write a book. And I think of women and all people in Iran, I mean, what they, the censorship that they're up against. And I think, you know, get to work, (laughs) you know, this is, you have an opportunity, you know, that really has not existed. I mean, it just, to some extent, it doesn't exist at all. Um, and in, in the country you come from and, um, and I think maybe that's something that does help an immigrant writer or a writer um, who's sort of who's not coming from mainstream America. I mean, to feel like what an incredible historically, um, you know, revolutionary mm-hmm. opportunity you have. Yeah, here we are. Here, here we are at a moment where someone like me can write a book. In my family, that hasn't been right. possible until now, you know. So um, so I, I do try to think about that. I try to think about, you know, how lucky I am and to make good use of the opportunities that I have. I had various people who were interested in the book, editors, and it would, depending on what was happening, what what was happening in the news mm-hmm. iran was hot mm-hmm. or it wasn't you know iran was like all over and suddenly it's like all you know that's all anybody wanted and then you get the sort of spate of stories and then nobody was interested in you at all you know um and that was really really frustrating um 
it was really, really frustrating. And, um, and so, you know, I, I haven't, I suppose I haven't been privy if there've been, you know, the really nasty things, I guess I just haven't, I haven't encountered it where, where someone has really overtly shut a door in front of my face. But I do think the market is kind of like a door, you know, and, and the market can be very harsh um, to people of color. It can be, it can be very, um, it, it can be very cruel. It can, it can say there can only be one of you. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it can say, it doesn't say that about white American male writers. There can, I mean, there can be, thousands of you and there are thousands of you you know um you know but it's like it's like oh we only can have like one or two of your kind at a time and that's really frustrating you know and it's not overt but I do think it is I think that Mm -hmm. that is a factor you know I I I definitely think it's something that we can I feel like that's in any creative space right now they're like oh we already have our brown or female comedian or a Muslim comedian we don't need any more <laughs> yeah 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 I mean like there's this sort of quota system out there yeah oh, really frustrating do you think it's going to change or that we can change it this is why I love teaching literature because I feel like as a writer I don't actually have the power I can I can write a really fantastic, I hope I can write a really fantastic book, but I can't actually make anyone read it. You know, my publisher can put a lot of money into, uh, you know, getting the book out there, but they can't actually make anyone (laughs) pick it up and buy it. Right. But as a professor, when I teach literature, I can actually make people read. (laughs) You know, so I think that's, that's where I, I don't know, that's where I get my, I don't know, I feel like Mm -hmm. I can make some kind of real change, you know, I mean, measurable, like in my lifetime, even, you know, over the course of a day, um, I can feel like I made a dent in this thing, you know, and there's just, there's really is just nothing more fantastic than somebody telling you some version of, you know, you made me see, see things, you made me see things that I didn't know I cared about, you made me see that it's so much more complicated. Um, you know, and, uh, and so that's why I teach. So that's the only, (laughs) that's the only sort of way that, you know, but I do, I do think that I, I, I just, I worry a little bit because I do think that, you know, if you flip through poets and writers or you, you know, if you look in the New York times, there's a lot, there's a lot more coverage of women writers, more coverage of, um, writers of color, a little, I worry a little bit if it's faddish, you know, and if we're going to swing back to a moment where it's not cool. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I will say that I feel like the events of the last couple of years since the election in 2016, I mean, there's a real, seems like on the part of some people, at least, I mean, there's a genuine curiosity. And if you read a book like, I don't know if you know Jasmine Ward's work, she has a book um, called Men We Reaped. It's um, it's about her community in Mississippi and four young African-American men who died. Well, you know, I think when we, we see the news, I think the natural, many people's natural sort of inclination is to say, uh, I want to understand that better. And I think books are still the place we go, you know. So that's been 
that's been really meaningful to me is, is to see that, um, that writers are young writers, older writers too, are, um, you know, and, and maybe especially in this moment where everything's about sound bites. And I mean, there's a wisdom in a book that you just can't get in a newspaper, you know, or, or a, you know, a little clip or a tweet or whatever. Um, so I think it's really, it's a harrowing moment, but I think we've also seen how much literature can bring to terrible times like these. So what advice do you have for creatives on their journey? <laughs> creatives on their journey um <laughs> read a lot or you know whatever whatever you're you know I think you really want to set your mind is your instrument and I think you really want to be reading the best kind of book for you so in my case I I read a lot of I read the best historical fiction I can um I read I read it with a writer's eye you know I'm really looking at it in a critical way thinking about how is this thing put together I think it's really important to educate yourself on how to, to read as a writer, and, you know, not just as a reader. And, uh, and then I think something like that was so transformative for me was taking a class, finding a mentor, finding a community that made all the difference for me. And I've seen it do that for my students as well. It doesn't have to be an MFA program, though it could be. Um, for a lot of people, that is their writing community or where it starts, but um, it might just be a workshop and you know, whatever it is, somebody, somebody to hold mm -hmm. you accountable to yourself. And that might be a group or maybe one person, you know, because I think, I think everything is against you, <laughs> you know, as a creative person. I mean, we're, you know, the reality is most writers don't make their living by writing, you know, so there's really just, there's really very little at the end of a, you know, a working day in you for creative work. And, um, and I think there's just a lot of temptation and then also pressure to just, oh, just, you know, just watch, let's just watch something or let's, you know, <laughs> so you really have to, you really have to cultivate this doggedness about it, you know, because I think it's so hard. You, you just have to be so crazily committed to your mm -hmm. own success. You know, <laughs> you really have to be, you know, against all evidence to the contrary. You just have to believe it's going to happen for you, you know, and then, and then you just got to do the work. Um, so that's, <laughs> what is that? Two things, three things, three things. Um, tell the stories that you have to tell. And, and I mean, not just sort of the, the stories that maybe you think you can tell or you should tell, but, you know, think about those stories. Like if you came to the end of your life and you didn't write this story, whether, whether it's fictional or non-fictional, you would regret it deeply. I mean, that's the kind of story that I think will sustain you. You know, you'll have a sense of the stakes that you're doing something um, mm -hmm. important to you. So th that's an exercise that I have my students go through is I have them sit down and I think, what are the five stories you have to tell in your lifetime? And then I tell them, what are of those five, what are the three? right? I'm just going to take two away from you. And now you've only got three and then you know where this is going. And then I say, well, you just get one and we've got, the, we have the next hour to write that story. <laughs> you know, we're going to do it right now. Um, the trouble as the Buddha said is the trouble mm -hmm. is we think we have time. Yeah. I mean, you think, yeah, I'll write that, you know, when the kids are growing up or, you know, 
when I retire from the law or, you know, <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. don't wait. Yeah, that's great advice. Don't wait. <laughs> that don't is wait. good advice. <laughs> don't wait. So let's jump right into the lightning round. The lightning round, I'm going to ask you five questions, rapid fire, and just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. okay. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Be tenacious. What is your definition of success? Freedom. Who inspires you and why? Mm. Women, especially women who have been shunted off to the side or silenced. What's a habit that's helped you on your journey? A regular writing practice. What do you want your legacy to be? I, I want to write the kind of books I love to read. Jasmine, if our listeners wanted to connect with you, where, they could, where could they find you online? Sure. I'm on Facebook. I'm, you can write to me at jasminedarsnick at gmail.com, Instagram. It's hard for me to not be found. <laughs> so so I'm, you can find me easily. And I'm super happy to, um, to correspond with anybody who's got you know, questions, wants some advice, uh, all that. It's a total pleasure. Awesome. This has been such a pleasure. You've dropped so much knowledge today. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Oh, no, don't even you don't you give us these readings that make us aspire to do more with our lives. So thank you. (laughs) And there you have it, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. Hey, before you hit pause, did you find this episode helpful and enjoyable? If so, could you leave an Apple podcast, aka iTunes review? It'll take you less than one minute and mean the world to me. The more ratings and reviews the show gets, the more people are able to find this podcast. If you're unsure how to leave a review, no worries. If you're on your iPhone or iPad, go to the homepage of this show and scroll down to write a review. Click on it and you'll be able to rate and review the show. If you're on a Mac from iTunes, go to the show homepage and on the top, click ratings and reviews. Also, please subscribe to get the latest episodes once they drop. If you enjoy the episode and know someone who would love it, please share. From your iPhone, click on the icon with three dots and then share via social media, email, or text. If you want to hear more, head over to funnybrowngirl.com forward slash podcast. You can also find me online. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at funnybrowngirl. Also, sign up for my free newsletter for more tips to advance your creative journey at funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. And again, if you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, go flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Thank you for listening. See you next week.